just past 7 o'clock, and we are back in the saddle. Ira is pleased after gallivanting around the country for a couple of weeks. We're going to have a great show tonight. It's Ira on Sports. This is the True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. And Ira, you were in Florida last week, but before that, you've been gone for a while, and there's really good reason for this, but finally your adventure is coming to an end, maybe for about three days. <laughs> well, the NBA Finals, I mean, to see Game 6, I saw 14 NBA playoff games, uh, four games in Brooklyn, uh, two games in Philadelphia, a game in Atlanta, a game down here in Miami, and uh, then two in Phoenix and three in Milwaukee. It was uh, yeah, a busy week for you. You racked up those frequent flyer miles. Um, we have a great show. I can't wait to talk all about this and everything else going on in the world of sports with the Olympics kicking off. And since the Olympics are kicking off, we're bringing – we've never done this before in the history of Iron Sports. We had Dan Wetzel on right at the beginning of COVID in April of 2020, but he had a great – um, a great part of his interview about Simone Biles, and we're going to revisit that. Yeah, he wrote a book about Simone, and it was a, it's a children's book, but it was not children's, a young adult type book, and it was extremely popular. And Dan Wetzel is the head of Yahoo Sports, a great writer. And I just felt like I'm listening to the Olympics and watching Insight. People are talking about Simone Biles. I'm like, wait a second. I know more about, I mean, I, I know more <laughs> than they're talking about, and I think this interview would be great. So I think the interview is just perfect to put because this week, if you turn on NBC between any time, it's going to be Simone Biles all week. Because this is it. I mean, she's going to be competing in the, the team competition, the all-around competition, and she's at each event. So she's going for six golds. We'll see what happens. But this is the Olympics of Simone Biles. She's considered the GOAT, the GOAT of all whatever, and this is it. And this interview was great because it really – she's such an interesting person, mm -hmm. and it, the, it, I thought the book was great, and Wetzel's insight into her is amazing. You, you, even the commercials have her in them. You can't get away yes. from Simone Biles <laughs> when you're watching uh, Olympic coverage. And, well, we'll touch on that in uh, just about 30 minutes or so here on Iron Sports. So, Ira, before we went on air, let's get into the NBA Finals Game 6, which determined our champions this year. It was the Milwaukee Bucks. You said to me before we went on air, this was an extremely difficult ticket to get. And last week, when we wrapped up our show, you didn't have tickets yet. So you were going to Milwaukee on kind of a whim and a prayer. Well, I, I thought I was going to get it, but I, I was waiting for the tickets to drop. And you're thinking, it's Milwaukee. There's no celebrities. Uh, the prices never, never dropped. I mean, it was a point where I, after I bought the ticket, like an hour and a half before the game, um, you can't just walk around the stadium to see people selling tickets. They don't do that anymore. It's on online. So I had like four sites working and I'm waiting for the tickets to drop and, and they really didn't. I mean, the whole time there's one ticket that was upstairs. It was dead center. And I, I ended up, I, I passed on it and it came back later and I ended up buying it. Uh, and, but there was like, I'm looking, I'm waiting. I wanted to get a ticket down low in, in one of the, between the, the baselines. I thought the tickets would drop and they just, they just never did. I mean, the prices stayed up at enormous levels by far. I mean, I've been to finals this is my 53rd final game I, by far the highest i've been game seven in golden state i mean this was insane in terms of the people in Milwaukee, and, and it ended up the people in Milwaukee bought these tickets early and they just didn't want to sell them they wanted to go to the game these were these were just true milwaukee buck fans that just wanted to go to a game so that's why that you had and then you have outside and they reported what 70 65 70,000 outside completely wrong there had to be a hundred hundred twenty five thousand maybe really? more because there's two sides of the stadium they opened up these huge parking lots for all all these fans so then you had people who were down there that if the ticket one ticket would come up and they're already there then you're like you can just go into the game and then that doesn't include all the bars on third street which is just about an eighth of a mile away they were totally packed with maybe 10 20 000 fans so you really literally had i think they lied about the number because they don't want to say oh my gosh there were over a hundred thousand fans <laughs> yeah, down yeah, there yeah. for covid reasons but there were clearly easily over a hundred thousand fans uh, at that game, and it was just jam-packed, crazy. And even after the game, I got to give the Bucks fans credit because after the game, it was they were celebrating.
shooting, but you didn't set. There was there was one shooting somewhere, but it was no, but luckily no one was seriously injured in that. But you didn't see the violence. You didn't see mm-hmm. anyone breaking. I mean, it was like people were just excited. I mean, that they won, and uh, it was just it was just they've been waiting for years and years and years for this to happen. And, Fifty, <laughs> and, and and it was a great the town. The town has fallen in love with this team, and uh, and I think it was it's very the bookends of of the Bucks winning, and then Aaron Rodgers and the Packers because this was this used to. I mean, it still is Green Bay Packer, but. Yeah. When I mentioned Aaron Rodgers, people, there he's old news. Like it's Giannis, huh. Giannis, Giannis, Giannis. And I was at the Brewers game the next day, and they put a Packer on the screen, and people got excited a little bit. If they put Aaron Rodgers on, I think people would be booed. They put Giannis. Giannis goes, "Get loud, everybody!" And everyone stood up in the middle <laughs> of the game. Like it's whatever Giannis says. He is so mm-hmm. popular, so beloved, and he. I don't. I've been. I think I was there when Cleveland when LeBron won. It was the ultimate. LeBron won. He won. But now LeBron's left. But I, besides LeBron and Cleveland, I can't see a, think of a player more popular in their town than Giannis is in Milwaukee right now. That's a, a good way to put it, especially with Aaron Rodgers, kind of rubbing people the wrong way uh, the past couple of weeks. We'll talk more about that. W- one thing I thought was interesting is watching the TV coverage. And I guess a lot of people just weren't familiar and were saying things like, wow, Milwaukee might be a serious sports town. Whereas you've been there for the past couple of weeks and you were saying like, this is a real, real town with the, that shutdown atmosphere. Everyone is into the, into this team. The Brewers game on Wednesday was a, was a, was a two o'clock afternoon game. I couldn't get a flight out the next day. So the game's Tuesday night. I go to the, the baseball game on Wednesday. So I'm expecting 10,000 people at the game. This is a Wednesday afternoon game yeah. at 1 o'clock, 30,000 people at, an, at, a, at a Kansas City Royals-Milwaukee Brewer baseball game. And just blown away by, I mean, the passion of the fans. And that's why you see with the Packers now, the Bucks, uh, at the Brewers. This, this, is a, this is a sports town. So let's talk about the game. And Ira, you had said that you thought that rebounding was, was going to be the difference here in this series. And it turned out in game six, that was especially true. 53 to 37. I mean, the score was 105-98 bucks, but the score, the 53-37 rebounding, 11 offensive boards for the Bucks. Both teams shot 45%. Both teams shot six for 25 from threes. But the and and actually the Bucks. I mean the key thing was Giannis made his free throws twenty five for twenty nine. Suns were sixteen for nineteen. Turnovers Bucks eighteen. Suns fourteen. Difference was the rebounding, and and that's what it is. The the rebounding was the difference, and and it was it was not just Giannis getting rebounds and Brook Lopez getting rebounds. It was Bobby Portis and Drew Holiday and Middleton and Con had everybody coming in and getting those rebounds, and that gave those extra shots. That's what extended the possessions, and that was really the difference of the game, the difference of the series. This is why they beat the the Nets. This is why why they beat the Hawks. This is why they beat the Heat. And this is why they're the NBA championships is rebounding, rebounding, rebounding. And just being tough, and, but going down Giannis, 0-2 twice. And Giannis. <laughs> rebounding and Giannis too. So we'll put Giannis in there Do you want to talk a little bit about what this means for Giannis? Because I think if they had been bounced, making the finals is one thing, but if they didn't make the finals again this year, I think he would have had the proverbial monkey on his back that Giannis can't get this done. Well, I think Budenholzer would have been fired. I yes. think the question about Giannis in terms of they're saying we should, he'll never get another MVP again because there's questions. We can't give an MVP when he's now lost to the Heat. He's now lost, had two bad losses in the playoffs when they've been the number one seed. You can't keep losing as a number one seed. And remember, they're down 2-0 to the Nets. Um, but I think this has just totally flipped the script. I mean, this is because I think, look, the Durant, the two titles Durant won, I give him credit for it. But when you win a title, this is a Dwayne Wade title. This is Dwayne, this is, 
I'm at the town. This is my team. I lead the team, and we win the title. This is how big this title. This is a Dirk Nowitzki. This is this is a this is a defining moment. If Giannis doesn't win another title, he's always going to be known as the person who won the title for the Bucks. That's how big this title is, and the fact that he's a two-time MVP and three-time Defensive Player of the Year, and all these other stats and all, and all these things. But at this title and and how he embraced it. I mean, he was just the video afterwards, like going to Chick Fil A and saying, and the fact that in the he says, "I want 50 nuggets, not 49, <laughs> not 51." Now it's time to get my hair cut. And he's just having fun. And the fact that in game, a lot of players win in the game sevens and game sixes when they want, no one's done the 50 points and the 15 rebounds and five bucks. And just had the defining game, making 17 and 19 free throws, like doing everything, doing, willing himself to win this game. And I'm, we're going to go over a little bit about this game. I and I and I was reading about a lot in the series. But I'm reading a book about the Lakers and when they played the Sacramento Kings years ago with Shaq and Kobe, and they felt that Game Six, the Kings, they the refs actually purposely wanted the Lakers to win to force a Game Seven. There was parts of this game where I thought the refs were really waiting. You know, this Game Seven is worth lots of money in yeah. the NBA, and, and I just thought the calls were weird. Like there was so there was like six, seven, just strange, weird calls. And, 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 but Giannis was able to, his great play was able to overcome this and they couldn't fix the game. Like, I mean, I don't, I'm not saying they were trying to, but it was the way is that the way Giannis played just to, that was to me a defining game of his career. And I will always refer as NBA champion Giannis. So it's interesting, you know, you talk about um, the respect factor. They're still not favored to win it all next year. And the Nets are, the Nets are favored at two to one. It's about eight to one. If you bet the Bucks right now for next year, which is kind of crazy to me, I think you think they'd be lower than that. But. Well, I think people don't, but I, I'm starting. I think now that they've won it, I think that I don't. This is a team that I do not think is going to say, "Okay, we won." Now I think they're no. going to just be more focused. I think you're going to add more people. I mean, Bobby Portis only played half the season. You're going to have him the whole season. You're going to have Dante. Remember, they're they're. Fourth best player, Dante Desenzio from Villanova. He was hurt. He hurt himself in the Heat series. So he'll be back. Giannis is going to have this confidence. I, I think this team, uh, this team, this team can clearly make another run at, at the title. And the Nets, are you going to count on the Nets staying healthy for the finals and, and, no. and how they're going to handle? I mean, either Harden's going to get hurt, Durant's going to get hurt, Kyrie's going to hurt. Who are they going to bring in? They're going to be their good depth is going to be an issue. Uh, the Sixers clearly aren't going to be a threat. I mean, I think the Bucks. I, look, I think the Bucks can beat the Nets, and and they should. I think they should be the favorite to win the title next year. So, what do you think happens? With, like, what's the Suns' legacy from this loss? I think the Suns are a very young team, and I think this is one of those things. I think when you look at teams that they were might might have been just been too young. Like it, Booker mm-hmm. was maybe a year or two older. Aiton was a couple years older. Bridges, they, they just were they just were maybe not ready for this moment. And they came so close. I, mean, I hate to say not ready, but I think they're going to run it back. And I think this was a great lesson. And a lot of these yeah. teams, they go after and they lose. I mean, the Jordan had won, you know, lost to the Pistons, finally got through it. You have these teams that they lose and then they win. And this is a great learning experience for this team. Monty Williams is a fantastic coach. So showed so much class. And I don't think Chris Paul leaves. I think Chris Paul, I think they run it back. Yeah. I mean, I would not be surprised. This is the finals next year. Again, I think both these teams have it, and I think they can each make changes and the players develop and grow. And the Bucks are still young enough that they're in the, their prime in terms of their players. So, but I was, I think that I think this is great. And I think for Chris Paul, look, he didn't win the title, but he played very well in this game. I thought he played. I, I thought he. 
he did what he I understand there's a lot of criticism and he's not he, he doesn't want to go down as a person that didn't win a title that's why I think he stays he either goes to the Lakers and takes a pay cut or he stays here and tries to do it again but I, I think he spoke to me he did play we were, he was getting a lot of criticism but in the game six he played pretty good he played MVP caliber all regular season too I mean yeah, there's no reason to think that they couldn't go back if they get that kind of production out of him uh, it's Iron Sports True Oldies channel on Mike Balsamo Dan Wetzel talks about Simone Biles coming up on the show going to be really interesting so let's discuss the game here Ira because it was it was a good one First, the start of the game was crazy. The Bucs had three turnovers in the first three minutes. The Suns couldn't shoot. Um, Giannis, the key was with eight minutes to go, uh, Giannis made two free throws. When he made those two, and the one, it went around. I, w- I rewatched the game twice. It, the one free throw went around like four times and then <laughs> fell in. And I thought that was a sign, like, wow, he made that. And, uh, but the first five minutes of the game, Suns were one for eight. The Bucs w- were leading 6-2. And it was like you saw where Aiton started not. I said the key is getting Aiton involved earlier. They tried to pass it to him, but he seemed soft. He seemed missing shots. Didn't wasn't getting the rebounds. And the game with like six rebounds for the game just was not in the game. And but it was like the Bucks. I thought had a chance to run away with this, but so many turnovers. It, it just was a weird start of a game six. And but when they brought Portis and Conahan in, that was great. I mean Portis drained a three to make it eighteen eleven. They're up twenty one fourteen. But and Cameron Payne for the Suns. I mean, he's going to be if he's the one free agent. He came in, drained a couple threes. Other than that, I, it, it, to me, it would have been it was twenty nine sixteen after one. But it could have been this could have been like twenty twenty five point lead. It was the lowest scoring quarter for the Suns all year. Uh, the Bucks dominated them on the glass twenty to ten. If it weren't for the seven turnovers, again, this would have been a, a, a runaway. And then in the second second quarter, it was just flip the switch. Uh, Payne another three. Um, Giannis got that travel that was weird. Like, that's one of those calls where he was brought the ball up and was like letting it roll, then picked it up. And then they, they always don't ever call that a travel. I mean, <laughs> no. they, they called it a travel. I'm like, wow. And then there was, Giannis shot the ball and Crowder grabbed the net and pulled it down. I saw it in person and, the, and I'm like, well, I think it's weird. And I'm watching the replays. I'm like, that is goaltending. They call it all the time. You can't grab a net and shake the rim. Like in the Olympics, you can't even do that. You're allowed <laughs> to have goaltending there. They didn't call that. That's where I started thinking, wow, this is crazy. But at 33-30, the Suns caught it and then the Suns took the lead. At, at this point, Holiday was missing shots, one for 11. Um, and it was, but, um, but then again, there was a bad call on Lopez. They called him. They had this lob from where he dunked it. They said offensive interference, offensive goaltending. And I'm like, wait, don't call goaltending on Crowder. But <laughs> Lopez gets the ball, dunks it in, and it was a clear pass. And then I watch the TV again. I'm like, that's the worst call I've seen. And then another call was Giannis blocked it on Booker. They went down to dunk the ball. They go, oh, the 24-second clock expired. But they always let the teams play on. They never stop it. Like mm-hmm. I'm like, what is going on there? And people around me were like, the fans were starting like getting on the refs. Like, what is happening? Why are all these calls going against them? And I usually like, what's up? home court, home team, but I did think that was weird. But the end of the first half, it was 47-42, Suns, and I, I didn't sense, like, the crowd before the game was just electric. I did feel like it was the motion, like, between that and halftime, it wasn't loud. Like, there was something going on. Like, it did seem like that where the Suns had taken the air out of the building to some extent. Iron Sports True Oldies Channel discussing the NBA Finals Game 6 that saw the Milwaukee Bucks uh, win their first championship in 50 years. So let's go to the second half here, Ira. What happened next? I think Giannis started taking it over. I mean, at one point, he, had, he, he was driving on the fast breaks. It just seemed like when Middleton was struggling, he took 14 shots in the game, and, and Holiday was missing shots. It was like Giannis was just making every play. And he was just showing his ability to 
to, to hit the 10-foot shots, the 8-foot shots, get the rebound when he misses a shot, dunk it. He was, he was very much Shaq-like with just all these other skills. And then defensively, getting every rebound, blocking shots. It was similar to, and I do compare this to Game 6 with Jordan. When, when people talk about when I saw him against Utah, when, when Pippen's back was bothering him and couldn't run out, Rodman was acting crazy, Kuchoch <laughs> was like nervous and whatever, and, and Jordan just said, I'm in Stockton and Malone, and, and we're playing in this loud environment. And it's like Giannis was like, Giannis proved he stood, he, the moment was there, and he embraced it. Yep. And he embraced it to win it. And it just thinking that third quarter, he just was making every shot. And it was like, that's where it was. It was in the, there was a 12 point to the Suns at one point, led by seven going in that in the quarter. Then suddenly the Bucks took it by five. And so it was a 14 point turnaround. And then Giannis kept driving on it, Yate Ayton, getting him to get his fourth foul. That was key. And I'll tell you what, this is where the Suns made a mistake. They brought Kaminsky in. And Kaminsky, I'm like, Kaminsky in the game. And people like Milwaukee know him because he played in Wisconsin. And he started playing well. He had a couple dunks, a couple plays. And you're like, man, you should have brought him in earlier. Like, it would have been better to have Kaminsky in. Like, use him more than just a few minutes. And at that point, I mean, I thought, when they put Kaminsky in 8-4 fouls, like, this game could be over, easy fourth quarter. But it was ended up being 77-77 at the end of the quarter. And uh, uh, and that was, and so going into the fourth quarter. So that's exciting here. Here you're going, game six, deciding game, 77, going into that fourth quarter. So let's talk about the fourth quarter because – like you said, there was some some runs here. It wasn't always, you know, the Bucks hadn't led the entire way, and we were excited for a big fourth quarter. Right. I mean, Portis came in, and I think again, Portis just the fans love Portis. He played half the season there. He was he was on his couch at the beginning of the season started, <laughs> and and just the the, the team, just, the fans loved his emotion. The team loved his emotion, and Holiday then drains a three. But Booker Booker was getting making some shots in the fourth quarter that helped. But it, but there was one point when Middleton missed. Giannis got the rebound dunked it in, put it, made it a four-point lead. And then Crowder was fouled by Portis, and then Portis ran down the floor, and they got a technical. And again, they called him a T on that, but didn't call yeah. Booker on that. Like, that was weird. And then Paul misses the technical shot, and then the, his teammates were all trying to, Giannis, like, you know, was calming down in Holiday. They're all calming Portis down. Like, it just seemed this focus on this team. And uh, But I like what Holiday was doing in the fourth quarter because you see a lot of these teams, it's like, you saw with the Olympic team uh, yesterday is Holiday realized Giannis was just get it to Giannis. Get, and that's where I give Holiday credit. He understood the moment. He understood his shot wasn't falling. He was just feeding Giannis, running everything to Giannis. And I think that helped. And, and, and Portis just kept making a big play after big play. And one of the big things happened was horrendous turnover. Paul, another steal by Holiday. I mean, as much as Holiday sometimes struggles with the shot, and you saw him with the Olympics, he plays great defense. He gets steals. He was all over the place. And then Booker, then Conahan, who was who made no shots in the game at all, but drew an offensive foul on Booker, and that made it 94-88 with four minutes to go. And then uh, and then, and then Booker, but then Booker made another turnover. And then at one point it was like 98-90, and you thought, wow, this game could be like it's almost there. But then the Bucks made a turnover, and it was just like so it was sort of this eight point lead. But then I think Gian, the two key plays, Giannis shot a fifteen foot shot over Booker. It was like one of those turnaround shots. I'm like, but if Giannis is making these shots, then it's ready. Good luck. And then and then and then uh, and then, but Booker, Booker, I give Booker credit because as much as the game seemed to be getting out of control, he came down, hit a couple shots. But then Middleton shot over Booker uh, with 102.96. I have this shot if you go on I Run Sports on my Instagram. It was just right Booker standing there, and Middleton just elevates over with a minute to go. And then that took the lead to 102.96 with 57. The Booker came down and missed, and that was the end. 
into the game. And, and it's, it is exciting to be at the game with like this final 30 seconds when, the, when, when Giannis is going crazy and you know the game is over. And, and it was just that last, it seemed like the last like 20 seconds lasted. There was no timeouts and everything, but it just seemed the fans were going crazy. And, and it, just the emotion of Giannis and emotion of the fans, it was, it, that was, ex- and then I've never seen an NBA game the fans rushed the court. Like, they were all on the court. Like, there's no security guarding the court, and Giannis was just holding the trophies. And it was so funny. Giannis had the two trophies at the, at the Chick-fil-A that he was holding. <laughs> and, and he goes, I think they're going to wave me. They don't know I stole the trophies. I know 150,000 people are watching, but don't tell anybody <laughs> that I stole these trophies. But if they find out, I'm going to be waved, so I'll be a free agent, and I'm going to have to sign with somebody. So I thought that was funny. He, he just played it up great, and, and his enthusiasm and, and embracing the town and saying, look, I could have been a, you know, a super team but it would have meant so much and I stayed here and I did this and it's sort of you know so there's some people said well it's going to upset the other players in the league that he said that no well so what let it upset him he decided to stay and made this team and and people said he wasn't a good enough player to lead they said Middleton wasn't good enough as a number two when they traded for Holiday at the beginning of the year they're like well he's not good enough no one's good like, the team wasn't good enough the coach isn't good enough but they somehow are NBA champions it was great for someone like me who loves parody to see a non well two non super teams face off in the finals and, uh, you know, Milwaukee was the better team. Congratulations to them. What was it like in Milwaukee after that? I mean, there must have been, like you said, it was nice that it was uh, not hysteria, but it must have been a pretty fun party for you. Well, I, it wasn't. I was, you know, I, I I wanted to get my pictures out, and I, you know, I, I saw it. But it was fun to be around. I think people were excited, I think, by the whole atmosphere and the and but it wasn't crazy i mean it was it was just it was a great scene and i stayed in the stadium a little bit longer to buy some hats i mean boy again these stadiums like after you win like why they not just open up and so they could have sold every piece of merchandise that they had the championship hats i don't know why they make it so difficult to do it but i mean one last point of the game is we talked about the bench Uh, portis had 23 minutes 16 points three boards conan had eight boards no points but I, it was like the, the bench, again, the Suns bench, Cam Johnson didn't play well. Kaminsky came in and played a little bit. But besides Crowder at 15 points and 13 boards, Booker only had three rebounds, Paul two rebounds. And when you're talking about Middleton with five rebounds and, and Holiday with nine rebounds, even though Holiday shot four for 19, terrible shooting, but he had 11 assists and nine rebounds. That was the key. And then, of course, Giannis with the 50 points, 14 rebounds, five blocks, two assists, played 42 minutes. And and Holiday has to be the most in shape. And we saw with the Olympics, we're going to talk about it in a second, but the fact that he just never looks tired. He just runs around the court all the time. And then he goes and flies across the, the world and then plays 30 minutes a few games later <laughs> in the Olympic game. Um, Holiday is great. I and mean, he's a great addition. And, and, the, and the Bucks should get a lot of credit for trading for him and making that trade and adding him to the team. I just... I, I was happy. I mean, it, it is great to see that there. And that's why I just think, again... I just cannot, besides LeBron, and I think LeBron is not as popular in Cleveland now. Like, if Giannis, you know, asks for a trade, it's not there. But I don't, Giannis has a chance to be the most popular player I've ever seen from in one town. Like, Derek Jeter was popular for the Yankees, but he was a Yankee fan, but the Mets fans didn't like him. So yeah, I think it's competition it's, in it, it, Right, it, it's just hard. Like, Kyle Ripken was very popular in Baltimore, and I think he was a legend, but it wasn't like, he's not at Giannis's level. Like, this, he wasn't viewed as, like, the greatest player. There's, he is at this elite, elite, elite level that, uh, that in terms of staying in Milwaukee. And I hope he, has, I hope he stays in Milwaukee. I hope he wins an, another title there. We uh, just had a final in Major League Baseball. Atlanta shuts out the Mets 2 to nothing. That was a seven-inning game, part of a doubleheader. They'll face off again at 8-10. Toronto and Boston, Washington and Philly both open up 0-0 in those games. Let's move on. It's Iron Sports. Let's talk Olympics, Ira. And I was meaning to ask you this. 
Have you ever attended the Olympics? Never. You've had, had a few in America. You didn't pop no, over to Atlanta. I, it's not been. It's, I always say I'm not interested. Then I get. I get. Uh, I get like drawn into it. I mean, and you're it, up at two in the morning. Yes. Watching. I mean, I start watching it, and 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 certainly I watch the, the basketball because I'm interested in seeing how this team is playing. And and but no, I've never been. I've never been to Olympics. I've never been to anything like that. It's it's. It's hard to go to. It's hard to see. I mean, friend, I have a lot of my friends who go to these, but it's like one of those things. I, I don't really travel outside the country for sports. So, But when it's in America, I haven't gone to it. But uh, it's it's something I probably will go to sometime. It's on the bucket list. It's so, on the bucket list. You brought up the, the basketball. And looking at this men's team, Ira, you look at the roster, and you look at every other roster in the world, and you think these guys would never lose a game, and it's just not the case. They lost to France in a pretty embarrassing fashion uh, the other day. It was their first loss to the Olympics in 17 years, and I'm going to say rebounding again. This team was somehow out-rebounded 42-36. to 36. And it was – I mean, in the third period, uh, the United States was up 45-37 at halftime, and you thought, oh, this is going to be a 30-point lead. Third period, they were outscored 25-11, to 11, and France was uh, up 62-56 going to the fourth. The USA you know, made their shot, 74-67, with three minutes to go. After that, they scored two points. Two points. Yeah. So this is, And I just want to say, Durant misses a shot. Booker misses a shot. Bam missed two free throws. Lillard turned the ball over. Durant missed a three. Uh, offensive rebound, Bam missed a layup. <laughs> Zach Levine missed a jumper. Durant misses a three. Holiday missed a three. Lillard a turnover. And then a tripping foul. I mean, it was, it was the most embarrassing ending of the game. And... Kevin Durant had four fouls, had trouble, only played 21 minutes, but he has four for 12 shooting. Damon Lillard is worried about, like, he says, I need to have a better team around me. Well, they had you have all these all-stars around you, all these max players, and you he played terrible. Damon Lillard was missing shots, and I, that's one thing about the Heat. Did the Heat really want to trade everybody for him? I, the, he, is, he is poor on defense, and he doesn't drive the ball, and, and it was a three for 10 shooting. Jason Tatum. So Jason Tatum for the Celtics is their star player. Three for nine, nine points in 24 minutes. And Eric Fournier, who is their sixth man last year, who they wouldn't give the ball. He was like their sixth man, and they went behind Brown and Tatum. He's the one who scored for France 26 points. <laughs> so they had France had Gobert, France had Fournier, and France had Batum. And, and Booker, I can't criticize Booker because he was tired and played 19 minutes. Holiday played great. They put him in the game. And if it wasn't for him in the fourth quarter, they would not. But he had 28 minutes. He had scored 18 points, seven boards, four assists. Played absolutely fantastic. It was the only player who cared out there. But this is the other thing is they, they didn't drive. They, Durant, Lillard, Tatum, Zach Levine, they didn't, Bam even. Drive on these players. Like these are not NBA basketball players. They would just stand and shoot and they had open shots. They missed them. And they're like, oh, we missed our shots. No, drive on the ball. And I, the excuses just came. I can't take the excuses anymore. No time to play together. Batoon was playing three weeks ago, unless that's his brother. I saw him playing for the Clippers. Like, Gobert was playing for the Jazz. Like, these players, they don't play together all the time. Like, they're thinking they're out playing every single day. That's totally wrong. They, 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 the American team players play together more. Middleton and Holiday just played with each other last week. Um, the game is different. Again, I, I just, first of all, because they say, oh, it's, it's, it's called too difficult. These players have grown up in playing uh, in, in gyms and everything where you don't, where you, you know, not everything is like the NBA. If the NBA is so soft now where every foul is like a touch foul and this and this, like learn how to play. Like go, I mean, you're Kevin Durant, you're seven feet, drive the ball, get fouled, like do things. Like I can't understand how this excuse that, oh, the game is so different, the rules, the this, the that, it's still basketball. It's anything. I, it just, it's just excuses after excuses. Uh, Greg Popovich, the coach, terrible job. The rotations made no sense of the teams. They're running the Spurs offense. It, I don't even know what they're doing. It's just he's 
doing a hor horrendous job. And you can see them in the exhibition games. They lost to Nigeria. They lost to Australia. All those things. And then not to put any big men on the team, not to put Brooke Lopez, Jared Allen, like you, these other teams, France, they have a backup center who's never played in the NBA, who's out rebounding. And yeah. and just Bam looks terrible. Bam is not rebounding against anyone. And this is a joke to not bring a center. I mean, this is, you have centers you could have brought. And then forget about the fact there's no Trey Young, there's no Zion Williamson that you could have had that who wanted to play. They didn't want to bring on, bring to that. This team was assembled. Jerry Colangelo, the team, the team could have brought in extra pieces, but it doesn't matter. They could be having six or seven guys, and they should still. Jason Tatum has got a. You want? They're all max. They all make forty million dollars a year. These are max players. Like you put this team together, play better. Like drive the basketball, rebound the ball, hustle, dive after the ball, do those things. Otherwise, you're going to lose. It's 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 really, literally embarrassing to watch this. And then some people say, "Well, these aren't our top superstars. There's no LeBron or Curry." I don't know. Durant, Lillard, Tatum, and Bam are all max players and stars of their teams. That's enough. Like, how many more? What do you need? I mean, I, I mean, do you need Michael Jordan in his prime? What do you need? Do you need Magic in his prime? Like, what do you need? You're only playing Rudy Gobert, Nicholas Batum, and Evan Fournier. That's and then and mm -hmm. some other French players. Like, it, it's not an excuse. It's unacceptable. It almost looks like watching an All Star game where they don't drive, they don't play defense, they just pass the ball around and shoot. And maybe that's what they're thinking because they have all-stars all around them that they're just going to win because they're that good. It's not the case when you're against other professionals. Right. And I think it's – and again, that's one thing. Well, we're not so – the other teams in the, are, are good too. Yeah. No one's denying of that. Of course they're If good. you yeah. watch the NBA, look at the, the MVPs. Giannis is from Greece. I mean, America's lucky because there's so many great foreigners that are playing the league, but they're not all in the same country. Like if they all were in one country – Oh, Jokic, Luka, yeah, and Giannis would, were on They would all have yeah. this, all the problem that the foreigners are all in different countries. So that's our advantage that we have. But like, again, like Luka Don not playing with the Slovenian team. Like, he scored 48 points, but they know how to play and work yeah. with him. And I, even the announcer, Vince Carter was talking, I think Dan Hicks was calling the game. At the end of the game, they're like, oh, it's the end of the game. Like, like who's going to get the shots? And like, who's going to get the shot? It's Kevin Durant. He's supposedly one of the top five. Like, you're one of the top five players of all time. Like, you think you're one of the top five players of all time and you're playing against France? Like, you got to take these shots. Yeah. Like, one, may, and make them. You had open shots. He was missing those open shots. I just, but the overall play of the game and this, the lack of enthusiasm and the lack of energy and not to drive the basketball. Like, could some, like, can Jason Tatum drive the basketball? Could Damian Lillard, like, you could beat your man. Like, these French defenders are, what they're doing, they're not holding on to them. Like, blow by them, make passes, play, play like you can play. We are uh, 731. We're going to have uh, Dan Wetzel talk about Simone Biles here in just a few minutes. But let's get into the Olympics, Eric. We're running out of time. Right, let's get into the gymnastics portion of the Olympics. Um, this is going to be, like you, we said earlier, it's the Simone Biles show. And it should be because she's just that good. So what's going on with uh, with the gymnastics? Well, just yesterday they had a qualifying and the Americans as, as poorly – there's been problems with some of these American teams. One is the women's soccer team lost to Sweden 3-0. But this is a gymnastics team that was as favored as much as the men's team was, um, it, they were terrible. They, they Simone Biles did, didn't perform up to her standards, which is the, the GOAT status. But the other ones didn't. The other, the other – uh, it was just one of the worst days the American women have had. They've won now three straight. Uh, Olympic golds, and it was like a terrible day. Now, it was only qualifying. But some of the people have been criticizing them because they 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 put their best players, but they the best uh, gymnasts, but they didn't have 
uh, skills, like certain people that uh, gymnasts that might have been best involved. Like they didn't put their best. They thought, oh, we'll just put the best ones we had, and it just didn't work out, and they just had a bad day. Now that they could recover from this, but it was one of the worst days. And I love how Russia supposedly not doesn't have a team, but they're called ROC, which is the Russian Olympic Committee, so they do have a team. <laughs> but the Russians are leading, so we'll see how this week. Now there's some drama. Now it's not just the Americans are going to win, you know, by so many that there is going to be some drama this week in terms of what happens. So what about uh, swimming? This was interesting. Uh, Katie Ledecky, the uh, you know, the great Olympic swimmer, she had her best time ever and lost in one of the rounds. She broke the crazy. world record yeah. and then and lost to Ari, Ariana Tidmus. And they've been, a, they've been battling, and I think it sets up three more races. But going into this, Tidmus was, uh, was five seconds faster than Ledecky going in. Like, even much Ledecky is the GOAT. She, also, you could be the GOAT. People said, this is make not, no, she wins. She could have like six other golds. So yeah. It doesn't matter. <laughs> like, it's one, it's one event. But it was a great race. It was a 400-meter free. Uh, Ledecky was leading until like the last 100 meters. I think the most exciting thing was Dean Boxel, uh, Arian uh, Tidmus coach, I think should be hired now by the men's uh, basketball team because they should hire him to coach their team because his enthusiasm, like, he was going crazy and nuts and and so much enthusiasm i just love the fact that whatever and that does give another point i do believe that if they took the milwaukee bucks team and they said Giannis, come with us you know you can be like the trainer of the team and fly over <laughs> there i bet you the milwaukee bucks team would have beat france by like 20 points because again i just that's what i was thinking in my mind is like because they the way they played with with holiday and middleton and brook Lope, like that team would have won would have would have would have beat france what about tennis well it's really the Osaka in the women's party, the number one seed lost. So Osaka really has this tournament and this hasn't played in for two grand subs. She hasn't played in months, but she looked great in her first two matches. Um, and But Djokovic is becoming the star of the Olympics because he, first of all, his, I like his draw because he plays Sasha Zarev. If he, if he ends up, he won two matches, but if he gets to the court in the semis, he plays Sasha Zarev, which he is easily beats usually. And then Tsitsipas and Medvedev play in the bottom half. But remember, it's only the best of three sets, so anything can happen. But Djokovic, who is the wealthiest of anybody playing in these Olympics in, in terms of money and everything else and prestige and being the GOAT and all those things, he is spending so much time, like he's stretching with the Belgian Olympic team. He's pictures like, they said he is he's the most accessible. He's taking pictures with everybody. And I just <laughs> like that personality. Like he's so having so much fun, and here he is, this pro, and made billion dollars, and all this other stuff, and he's out there having fun with all the. He loves. This, he's embracing the experience. Um, let's go to golf, and this is unfortunate that we've had um, COVID kind of leaking into this. I did see a lot of people saying, you know, obviously Bryson DeChambeau um, had to pull out. So we went from America's most hated golfer gets COVID, can't appear, so we replace him with America's second most hated golfer in Patrick Reed. Well, they call Patrick Reed Captain America because he wins <laughs> in the ride, so they have pictures of him riding his motorcycle yeah. with Captain America, and and I and I just think, but it's weird now with John Rahm out because of COVID, Bryson out of COVID, you have the Americans really look like, they, this is when you have Reed, Thomas, Morikawa, and Shoffley, I mean, they have a chance to, to sweep. Are we gonna, this is amazing, and this is important, you know, to win, you only get a chance oh, to yeah. win the gold once every four years. Rory, this is a great chance for Rory, because if you look at the field, there's a lot of there's a lot of 125ths in the world and a lot of 170 this is not a full field this is like the masters field but even worse now with some of these golfers out and so you have like hovland and hideki matsiano who i think i would yeah. say hideki would win this but but there's a chance for some for 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 the americans a chance for rory to really have this great title uh and, and for hideki yeah. to win the masters Sung -M with yeah, Sung, could do right. something could you imagine if hideki won this one and the masters in the same yeah. year I mean, pretty impressive yeah. <laughs> and women's soccer this is something they, they were able to right the ship, but not a good sign what happened in the first game. 
Again, oh, the overconfidence. This is the men's team again. Overconfidence, losing three three nothing to Sweden, beat New Zealand. I mean, they're in the they're again. The United States lost to France. They still have to. All they have to do is beat Czechoslovakia and Iran, which is they're favored by forty five on Iran. <laughs> They'll make it to the quarters. But then, question is, will they lose later? Um, but the, the but uh, but women's soccer again is the same situation where they they'll probably win and get advanced. But again, no one expects them to lose three nothing to Sweden and play so poorly. Let's go to Dan Wetzel discussing Simone Biles here on I Run Sports. The Simone Biles book is just. I mean, I learned a lot. I mean, I thought you have a sports show, and I know that Simone was great, and she's this great gymnast. But I then you read it, and you're like, she's arguably maybe the greatest. You know, she put her name up to one of the greatest of all time. I mean, the fact that she's from 2013, 14, 15, and 18 and 19 world champion, 2016 gold medalist. Since 2013, she's been entered 23 competitions and won them all from all around. Uh, you know, you compare it to like Nadia Komichi, who we think is always the perfect 10, and her her not, her accomplishments just dwarf Nadia's. Uh, just it's amazing. I didn't realize when you put it all together, and that's why she's missing that next Olympics, and this would have been her you know total culmination of a career, but I didn't realize how great she was, sort of underappreciated in the general public. Yeah, I think it is because there's so little understanding of um, gymnastics. And so, you know, Nadia Komanichi was obviously a great gymnast, and, and they had the different scoring systems, so you had the perfect tens, which sort of resonated uh, and made the sport popular. Uh, where you don't you don't really have that in uh, currently, um, but not only does Simone win more against her contemporaries, the way she wins, uh, the degree of difficulty in her routines are are so far above what anyone else is attempting. It's almost impossible for her to lose. So she can she doesn't have to be perfect to win because what she's attempting is dramatically more advanced than her competition. And um, I think not a lot of people pay attention to gymnastics outside of the Olympics. And then one of the things I was on, uh, I've covered Olympic gymnastics uh, for being back to, I guess, Athens Olympics. Um, One of of the issues with it is the way NBC um, televises it is they, they, they make it look like it's close and there's drama. When in a lot of times it's it's like this is already a 30 point blowout in a basketball game. Um, but the way they can kind of rig it to the common thing, it's like, oh, my gosh, if she doesn't do well here on the floor exercise, she may not win the gold. And it's like she would literally have to quit in the middle of the floor <laughs> exercise to not win the gold. Um, she would have to fall on every single tumbling pass and she still could probably win the gold. So a lot of it is the way it's kind of done and then the fact that – so I think everyone marvels at what she does and you see these leaps and you see these things. But what she's pulling off is her degrees of difficulty are just astronomically better than the others to the point where at the, even – uh, and this would have been even crazier in 2020. She's even better than she was in 2016. But the other gymnasts literally said um, – I remember Allie Raceman and 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 uh, uh, Laurie Hernandez saying, you know, we're just shooting for silver. If you win silver, you've won gold because Simone's different. She's just she's off on her own. So all the rest of us are just trying to win silver. And if we can do that, then we feel like we've we've won gold. And these are the <laughs> this is the second, third, fourth best people in the world. Just a little like Usain Bolt was running. It was like I ain't beating them, so I'm just trying to do my personal best. And that's how good Simone Biles is. And so it's it's. 
Um, hopefully explained in there. But, yeah, she hasn't lost in forever, and she won't lose until, um, you know, until she hangs it up. And one of her advantages is she's not young. A lot of times um, you need to be 16 years old because of the way your body grows. Uh, she's she's grown. This is her body. And obviously she trains extremely hard, but she's she has the frame naturally as a grown-up that is perfect for gymnastics, where often that is kind of limited by uh, just turning 18 years old and uh, or 17 years old. So she she's a force of nature as long as she wants to go. And what's amazing about Simone is that you would think that, okay, when she was one year old, she was tumbling, and two years old, she was this. I mean, she grew up in a foster household, uh, bounced around between her mother and her grandparents, and then finally, until she was six years old, was actually just in a stable house with her grandparents raising her. Uh, from usually when you're six, I mean, they're they're in gymnastics went like two and three, so it was just she didn't really she got a very late start as being a gymnast. She did. She has an incredible amount of natural ability that goes along with the the, the training that she puts in now. But yeah, her father, um, who is was originally her grandfather, but it's now her father has adopted her. He would. He, he says he was, you know, he'd be in his living room watching football game and, and Simone would come flying through the living room and use the, um, you know, use the end table as a, as a vault to pump off of and all these crazy things. And he just remember being like, this girl that we just adopted is so bouncy. Like we got to do something to, um, to just get the energy out. And they had a trampoline and she'd be out there. But then one day during um school uh or whatever you know whatever it was they went on a field trip to a gymnastics hall uh or the the field trip they were going to go on got canceled because of the rain i think they were going to like a zoo and so instead they scrambled and went to this gymnastics hall and they're all in there uh the kids basically and she could do a standing tuck uh flip um at six years old which is extremely hard, um, but you know you'll see literally like college gym, uh, college cheerleaders will do a flip, right? It's just your basic standing flip, but very difficult. And this gymnastics coach came over and goes, "Where do you train?" And I said, "Nowhere." My brother was there too. I was just this is just what I can do. And she said, "Wait, what?" And she got her a flyer and said, "Bring this home to your mother and come back." And then she came back, and then in the first day of that class, the uh, the, you know, basically it's like a wreck gymnastics coach, tumbling, co- you know, just dealing with six-year-olds running around. And this other coach was far more uh, experienced, saw her across the way, and was like, what the heck is this? And it was like, boom, your star is found. And so even then it took, you know, many, many years to get great, but there was a natural ability that just blew people away. Like there's no way this girl can do this without any training, and she could do it. But then she – she was training in this gym and, and it became when she was like 13 years old, her coach, uh, Coach Bannon, was sending her to uh, Marta Caroli, the famous uh, gymnast, the most famous gymnast coach with her husband, Bella. 
And Marta was like, ah, she's too old. Like, she got this idea that she's really, she's not good enough. She, and she was strong on the floor and the vault, but not the uh, beam. There's four events, the beam and the, and the uh, uneven bars. And bars. Bars, right. Bars she's not great at, yeah. And, and then not so, great being one of the top five in the world, but, <laughs> not, yeah. yeah. But at that time, yeah, but at that time, but it's like, it's amazing is that even Marta Caroli could not see that this was going to become the greatest gymnast of all time. And, and that was only, you know, a few years ago. It was just, it's so so her ability to just go from that at, at 13 to suddenly then become super is just amazing. Yeah, Simone is Simone's personality is is not is a little more fun loving than um, sometimes is expected of a gymnast. Uh, the training is so rigorous and so time consuming and so precise and it can be you know Simone was one of them, but almost any elite gymnast becomes uh, homeschooled at some point. You basically train most of the day, and it's it's exhausting. And she just had not hit that mental level where she was ready to be as committed as some of the other uh, some of the other kids. So there were certain things she struggled with, but once that once she really committed to that, uh, you know, you, you had the perfect mix of of uh, just incredible. Uh, physical skill and then mental toughness and emotional toughness that that you need in gymnastics. It's just a very very difficult sport. Now, one of the benefits of not really hitting that until you know 13, 14 years old, she was really inspired by the Olympics. Um, is she she didn't get burned out, you know, so she's still doing it. So you know, it it, it may have been a more healthy way of actually doing it. Now, one again, one of the problems is just physically development. You, you can often be better as a smaller. You just too much size, too much height can really, uh, you know, really affect your your ability to perform at that truly elite level. She didn't have that, so she had a little bit more of a, of a window. But uh, it took a while. It took a lot of battles with with uh, the Corollis and a lot of heartbreak and a lot of frustration too. Uh, there there is no such thing as a total natural in gymnastics. You cannot just roll out of bed and do it. And, and even the great Simone Biles who could roll out of bed and do it better than anyone else. <laughs> um, the story tells that. And I think that's important. And it's important on all of these epic athletes is we, we spend a lot of time uh, in these books talking about what the, what the athletes were like in middle school and in early high school, the, the age group that would read these and even like, you know, late elementary school, because you look and say, Simone Biles, that's incredible. But you say, oh, this is a kid who had, uh, you know, all sorts of family hurdles and struggled with confidence and didn't know what she wanted to do. Or you look at Stephen Curry and he's a, he's incredible. Well, when he was 13, he was too small. Uh, Serena Williams, right? Greatest female tennis player all time or something close. When she was 13, she was your older sister is better than you. You'll never be as good as your older sister, right? Very, very uh, common themes that any kid would hear. And so it's even for the great ones, it's not as simple, as simple as you would think, as good as they became and as good as they were then, those same doubts, confidence, motivations, family pressures, all the different things that go into it. And then how do they overcome it? Uh, how do they overcome family issues or divorces or you know, do they lean on their faith? Do they lean on their older brother? What, is it one coach? What is it? And so we try to really focus on that time. And I think that's one of the reasons it connects so well with the audience, because that's what these kids are going through at that time. 
Uh, they're not just looking. They don't want to. They don't want to just read about how great Simone Biles is, but how she gets so great. And you mentioned in the book how you talked earlier about how she's doing routines now that are at such a high level. It's ridiculous. I mean, she's attempting things. Everything is named after her. You said if someone does the first one to do a routine, it's named after them. And she now has like everything named after her because she's so advanced. But when she was when she was struggling in 2011, she didn't want to. She took the she was too afraid to do the more advanced routine. She always took the easier one. So her degree of difficulty was so low. So it's so interesting to see that uh, that she was able to go from having this low degree of difficulty to have by far the highest degree of difficulty ever as a, as an athlete. Right. And that's just, that's confidence and that's um, putting in the work so that you feel confident and that can trans translate into anything, right? That can be academics. That can be if you're in a play or that means talking to people because you're shy, all the different things. Um, you know, it, it's, it, she, she had the ability. She wasn't capitalizing on it. She wasn't, you know, embracing it. And once she did, she became incredible. So again, there's so many lessons you can learn from these athletes that really have nothing even to do with, with the gymnastics. I mean, no one reading the book, presumably, uh, yeah, I don't know, maybe there's another, there's going to be another Simone Biles out there, but um, you know, virtually no one reading the book is going to be an elite gymnast. They may not even do gymnastics, but there's a lot for anybody to learn from that and saying, geez, once Simone Biles believed in herself, she became Simone Biles. Right. I mean, even even her age was wrong because she was 15 at the 2012 Olympics. So she couldn't even she had to be 16. So she actually had to sit out there. She's only had like one run of the Olympics. She potentially could have had two. This could be her third Olympics if if it worked out perfectly in terms of her timing. But that still didn't. You know, she just went on to the world championships and just started dominating in 2013. Yeah, it's one of the cruel ironies of gymnastics is the timing is everything. So, again, the, the, the generally the peak years. 16 or 17 years old is what you want to be. If you look at back at your, your all around champions, uh, they're almost always that age right in there. And so obviously if you are 15 and nine months at one Olympics and 19 and nine months at the next Olympics, you can miss that and you can win world championships, but far less people pay attention, let alone the sponsors and all of those things uh that can make you millions so uh gymnastics and figure skating are very very cruel sports we're talking to dan wetzel national columnist for yahoo sports on ira on sports um you talk about simone in the 2016 olympics and what i was shocked is and you see it on tv and you think it's fake you know it's like she's competing with ali raisman and she's going for one and ali's but they they really worked well to get like they really support each other and, and you really and you spent time in the book saying that they were their best cheerleaders and it, and it wasn't fake and it was true and i was just shocked when they because you are a team you do compete in the team but then you have all the other you have the all around and the four other events where you're individuals and you mentioned how they you know she was such a supportive teammate but their teammates loved her too yeah i think part of what simone is it's they know she's better. Um, there is definitely, I mean, it's, it's okay. I'd like to win the gold, but I can't do what she's doing. And again, it's, some of this is at the start, your start line. You just can't do the same maneuvers. Um, in gymnastics, there's often these teams, uh, they come together. They want to win the gold as a team. Uh, you know, even if on the team, you don't always compete against each other, but in that battle, in those, those six months that lead into who, who's going to get, a chance to compete in the all-around. Because one thing about uh, the way they have it, first off, next time there's only four people on the Olympic team. Right now they're, they're in the past there's been five. So you're talking about the entire country, all the people competing, and there's only four spots. So it is a cutthroat battle 
to do that. I mean, even the, the Olympic basketball dream team got, you know, 13, 15 people on it. Um, so you're talking four, and one of them's already taken. So there's three. So there's a fight to get on. And then they decide you can only put two of your team into the all-around, which is what everybody wants to do. And literally uh, the top three gymnasts in the world last time were were all Americans. Lori Hernandez, Ali Raceman, and, and Simone Biles. They would have got one, two, three. Lori Hernandez got left out. So um, it was just Raceman and, and Biles. So there are some battles on that. But I do think Simone kind of transcends that because – there isn't really uh, who's better, who's better. It's okay. She's the best, um, and she's she. I don't know. She just has a way of caring so much about the others. She has a way of being very unfocused until it's time to be focused, uh, and I think that helps with her. When you when you talk to her, their teammates, it's like she's the one goofing around at the the Olympic Village, um, and way more relaxed. And they're sitting there going, "My God, you you know you're competing for a gold medal tomorrow. Why?" Why aren't you, you know, because she was up for so many events. She was, it was a grind of almost two straight weeks of, you know, incredible mental and physical focus. And yet she's out there having as much fun as anybody uh, when they're just lounging around back at the, at the athlete village. And then in 2018 and 19, you talk about how she's now taken to the Usain Bolt type of level in that not only is she winning the all around competitions, but she's winning gold in almost every other event. So, which is shocking. And, and so she's setting himself out perfectly. She, for the Olympics this year, she would have, you know, she, how many golds could she have won? I mean, it could have been five, could have been six almost. So it was just, uh, the, the max you can win is six. You can win team all around. And then there are four individual events. Uh, so, uh, the most that's ever been won is four, um, you know, can she get to five? Obviously, all around, all around in team, the U.S. she should win, and the U.S. will win. Uh, you know, now we're now a year away, so we'll see. But those are kind of almost locked down. And then it's how many individual events can you do and and win? Uh, she is weaker on bars than the others, so it's hard to say if she could get to six. Uh, five would be incredible. But obviously, six would be the ultimate goal. <laughs> you just walk into the Olympics, and I just took you all out. Um, I think that if if we will see where we're at in a year and whether that's even feasible, whether she would get that opportunity. But I do think that would be a very, very compelling thing for people to watch in 2021 if they have the Olympics um, to see, boy, here's something that no one has literally ever done, just a, a clean sweep of everything. And, I, you know, you never say never. There's going to be another. But, boy, it's going to take a while before someone else could even contemplate uh, trying to win every single discipline and then team and all obviously all around. So I run sports true all these channel and Mike Balsamo and you had a, a comment about this. Well, I, well, first of all, I mean, he was talking about the time where there was going. Now we're here. We're in the week. Yeah. That we're talking about. <laughs> so it's exciting that we get to watch it throughout this entire week. And the other point I was I, I just forgot to mention was that I love watching the, you know, all the different sports, the badminton, which is amazing. And, but the three on three basketball was cool. And I have no idea why we don't. Now, America didn't qualify this. But I, why could we have like Trey Young and Zion Williamson do three on three basketball? Wouldn't that would have been awesome. Like if you had Giannis on the Greek team and have like it would be the Giannis most, and his two brothers. And yes, yeah, so two brothers. <laughs> 
Thomas team and the, and the Tempo team. And it would be so exciting. It would be the most watched event. And then people say, well, you, you could still be on the group team. They play like every two, three days. Yeah. And then have to do that and then play the three-on-three. You see all the other sports. I mean, Simone is competing in all these other events, too. And the swimmers swim in all the events. I, I think that the three-on-three is something we don't – they're not named players. I'm watching these the, – the, none of these are famous males playing. Now, some of the women are WNBA players. But not even the famous WNBA players. If I was a star, I'd want to be like on the three-on-three team because that to me would be just – if you could just see Steph Curry, you imagine Steph Curry and LeBron. I mean, it would be cool that they should – like I think the next Olympics, these players should try to do that. Red Sox on top of the Blue Jays right now, one nothing thanks to an Alex Verdugo singling in uh, Hunter Renfro just a few moments ago. We got to talk college football, Ira, and this is something – I got to tell you, you know, you're very smart when it comes to this stuff. You know, like the finances, how this could actually happen. All I see is two teams, uh, being Texas and Oklahoma, said, we're joining the SEC. And now it changed a day later to, we're just leaving the Big 12. We don't really know what's going on. Do you know what's going on? I don't know if I know, but I just love talking about it because... I remember in 1989, Penn State was always independent. And I, when I grew up as a Penn State fan, I'm like, they're going to form a conference. And all you heard was Penn State's going to form a conference. And nobody wanted to join the Eastern Conference. So they didn't want to do it. So then Penn State, <laughs> I remember where I was the moment I heard that Penn State was joining the Big Ten. I was like, wow, my gosh. Like, that was just blew my mind. I remember exactly the moment I heard that. And then that was amazing. They, they joined it. And then in 1996, when the Southwest Conference folded and the Big Eight teams became the Big 12, the Texas team moved in there. And then uh, 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 10 years ago, Ago when Texas A&M and Missouri left for the SEC was the last round of that big expansion. But I think everyone's been waiting for this final. Like they've always felt that 2011 that was just the beginning, and there was going to be one more. And they've been flirting. I mean, Texas and Oklahoma have been flirting with like the Pac-12 and moving there. And now this is one thing the rumor comes out where now the issue is that these team conferences didn't want them to leave. As they said, you had to put your media rights. That we sign these deals that you're going to get the media, so you can't leave. If you leave, you have to pay us now 75 to 100 million dollars. So all. Oklahoma Texas did today was say we're going to leave after 2025 to the Big 12, but doesn't mean that. And so they're not have to pay a penalty, but it might be some time. But again, the, that Big 12's media rights are owned by Fox and ESPN, who said we don't want to renew your rights. Like they haven't talked about renewals, so they've given 300 million dollars a year to the SEC. The Big 10 is contract is up. The ACC, ESPN has this huge contract with. It's weird that the, the Pac 12 and the Big 10 are more Fox whereas the SEC and the ACC are more ESPN. Mm -hmm. The Big 12 was between both of them. Well, when the Fox and ESPN told the Big 12, we're not going to, let's figure out what we're going to do with our rights. I think they were saying, we don't even know if you're going to be in existence any longer. (laughs) So what happened? Any, there's could go one, many different ways. Texas, Oklahoma, they could join the SEC. That'd be crazy. You know, it'd be amazing with, the, with more teams being 16 teams. Or maybe they join the Pac-12. Maybe the Pac-12, maybe there's a way to go to join the Pac-12. Maybe they join the Big Ten, the ACC. And then what happens to the rest of the Big 12 teams? Does the Big 12 just go away and disappear? Or does the teams like Texas Tech, TCU, Baylor, do they join a, another conference, the ACC or the Pac-12 or Kansas, Kansas State, West Virginia? I mean, I, I would think West Virginia would go to the ACC. They have the rivalry with Pitt, and then you have, I mean, Kansas goes, we want to be in the Big Ten, but why would the Big Ten bring someone like Kansas or Iowa State in? They're really looking for TV markets. So for the Big Ten, like, there was always this talk about Texas coming to the Big Ten because Texas is academically fits well with them, and also the Big Ten could get in the Texas market. I don't think 
this is done. I really, I think this could go many different ways. And the Big 12 could say, look, I'm going to bring in Houston. I'm going to bring in Cincinnati, BYU, Boise State. We're going to reconstitute and have another Big 12. So there's a lot of ways this could go. And I, as everybody is interested now, Texas A&M's mad because Texas A&M goes, we left 10 years ago. We went, got away from Texas. We don't want Texas with us. And we <laughs> saw with the SEC, Florida State is in the ACC. They're yeah. not allowed it. That Florida blocks them from coming to the SEC. And you see Clemson in South Carolina. So there's this gentleman's agreement, supposedly, where you can't come. You're going to have two schools from the same in the same uh, place. But my issue with Texas is this. They control the Big 12. They, 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 they have their own network. They have their own this. They can do whatever they want. They get more, the deal now is they can even get more money than the other teams. Do they want to go to the SEC where even Alabama is equal to Vanderbilt in the SEC? Like, as much as Alabama wins, it's like they're all equal. Is Texas ready to go to a conference where they're going to be treated like everyone else? And I don't know if Texas is ready for that because they think they're Texas. And they could probably go to the Pac-12 and, and do what they want there. So I, it's just I'm excited to see what's going to happen. Texas hasn't won the Big 12 in 12 years. <laughs> Do not join the SEC. We've got about two, three minutes left here, Iron Sports. Talking, uh, Yan- uh, talking baseball, Yankees-Red Sox had a series over the weekend, and this was just a kind of a mess if you're a Yankee fan. Well, on Thursday night, the Yanks were up 3-1 in the ninth inning. Chad Green blew the lead, and then Brooks Krisky, who came in for the minors, they pulled up. So you start with a man. They're up They're up 3 they're up by a 4-3, four, four, and they're up 4-3 in the bottom of the 10th. Krisky comes on with the man on second because you put the runner on second. He then throws two wild pitches, <laughs> walks back Not close either. Then, then more, two more wild pitches, then a sacrifice fly, and the Yankees end up losing the game on four wild pitches. Friday, the Red Sox win 6-2. Saturday, the Yankees came back. Avaldi yeah. was, I thought, pitching a no-hitter throughout most of the game. They take, they take the, it was the first time the Red Sox lost the lead of two runs all season. The Yankees come back, and now they're all excited. We, you know, we could have been down 3-0 in the series. But then Sunday, Herman is pitching a no-hitter into the eighth inning and is taken out, and they gave up five runs. They were up 4-0 in the eighth inning, and the Yankees blow that lead and the 5-4. So, they, so the Red Sox took three out of four. The Yankees now are, are, are down nine, uh, tied with, you know, behind the Red Sox and the, with the Blue Jays. And this, this, but it's weird. The Yankees got a break this weekend because the A's keep losing. So that second wild, like the, the Rays or the Red Sox are going to get the one wild card. The White Sox are going to win their division. Astros win the division. But now the A's might fall out. And now that second wild card could be open for anybody in the American League. It's uh, interesting. You got Aroldis Chapman, Zach Britton, Jonathan Loazaga, and Chad Green, and the Yankees can't trust any of them. They could be closers on most teams. Can't trust any of them. Um, Adam Frazier gets dealt from the Pirates to the Padres. Pirates don't get much back, but we're used to this as Pirates fans, I, it's, right? it's, it's, he, First of all, Adam Frazier is... He is one more year. Like, he's only making $6 yeah. million this year. Next year, he make like $10, 12000000 million. But the fact is, he's under contract for another year. This They brought players back that they hope are Adam Frazier. Like, this makes yeah. no sense. Leading league in hits. It's not leading league in hits. He's a, they, people love him in Pittsburgh. Like, again, the, Pir- the Pirates are a joke. I mean, they should be relegated to AAA. This is an absolute embarrassment. And I love, as a Pirate fan, a Steelers fan, the Steelers, they don't, they, the Steelers fans are so hard on this team. They don't like their backup guard or the backup <laughs> line or whatever. The Penguins, they're ready to trade Sidney Crosby if they lose a game in November. But the Pirate fans are like, oh, okay, we'll still go to the games. We don't care. Like, why do the Pirates have this in Pittsburgh? I'm so mad because they don't care about the. I mean, they still go to the games, still support the team, but whereas they're tough on the Penguins and tough on the Steelers, they let the Pirates do it. 
whatever they want. Cleveland Indians are about to be Cleveland Guardians. The one good thing here is you can just take a piece of duct tape, put it over the I-N, and add a G-U-A-R to it. I, I thought the Spiders were a better name. I didn't really like the Guardians name. There's a statues in the front on the bridge, and that's what they called it. I, I just, I'm not sold on the name. I, I thought Spiders, they were, used to be called the Spiders 100 years ago. I think it'd be cool. I think that was interesting. Besides that, I, I don't really like Did it. Did you I, happen to see there's already a Cleveland Guardians? They're a uh, roller derby team that trademarked that name in 2011. <laughs> well, <laughs> so maybe- usually these, these name changes that were like Washington Bullets was probably not the you know good name, but but certainly going to the Washington Wizards, nobody really cares about the Wizards. The, the yeah. changing of the names rarely as a team got it right. I mean, Charlotte was the Bobcats and then the Pelicans, and these new teams don't work. It, it really Seattle is the, Kraken's kind of cool. Yeah, it has a name because it's hockey and it's Kraken, and that makes sense. But it, it's difficult for some of these teams with the with to get it right with the names. I mean, it's hard. the names like it really is the team. The Los Angeles Lakers. Lakers is not a great name, but just the name Lakers and Celtics yeah, and those. They stole it from uh, Minneapolis. <laughs> What's going on in the NFL? Well, first of all, the big deal is is with covid in terms of the teams now if you're a coach you saw a coach with the minnesota vikings their top offensive line coach was fired and the teams with the coaches are allowed to, if you don't get vaccinated you can get fired it's a private so they're they've now two coaches been fired because they haven't they've been vaccinated the players all they can do is find them but the way they made it set up was it's gonna these players could rack up lots and lots of fines and so they're really forcing these players. And, and it's causing dissension in the locker room because there are a significant amount of players that don't want to get vaccinated. So you have the vaccinated players, unvaccinated players, and that is an issue in terms of how to deal with it in terms of the locker room. And those dynamics should play out. And I'm, I, I think you might see some big-name retirements in the next couple of weeks when some of these players are forced to get vaccinated. They don't want to get vaccinated. And they might just say, look, I'm 32 years old. I don't want to do this. I'm done. You see players get DeAndre retired. DeAndre Hopkins is saying that Hopkins now. Hopkins might retire too. So, And then the other big story is Aaron Rodgers today. Um, and I don't think we're all done with what it, he's now saying. I'm going to report to, to he does. Nothing's been totally announced, but it looks like they voided that there's two more years after this year in his contract. He's going to avoid that final year, but he's still going to be on the team. I mean, his contract's still for next year. He was hoping to get what Brady had. Now, Brady, two years, Brady won the Super Bowl. And then they, the year before he won the Super Bowl, they had two more years left. So he won the Super Bowl. And then he had the other year and his contract he was a free agent. So Rogers is not going to be a free agent next year. So he's still under contract. I think it's weird, but it seems like he's happy with there it's it's just sort of like kick the ball the can down the road for another year but by voiding that second year it gives him a lot more flexibility to leave and now the packers could trade him without a salary cap hit there's a lot of financial ramifications but it looks like the the packers are gonna go one more year see what happens and and if they win the super bowl then we'll be talking about this next year ira the nba draft is thursday you're gonna be there Yes, I love the draft. I enjoy going to the draft. And uh, Katie Cunningham of Oklahoma State is going to be drafted by the Pistons, number one. Uh, no one knows where everybody else is going to go. It, it's, it's one of those drafts where one through 11, it'll be a bunch of trades. The, the Warriors have two of the 14 picks, and they're a win it all that you think that they're going to make some big trades. So I really expect trades throughout this entire draft. And the Raptors, who have a very good team next year, you know, remember they have difficulty with Toronto. They have the fourth picks. And if they, Jalen Suggs for the Gonzaga, could, it looks like he's going to be picked. I think that could be a difference maker. I mean, some of these other teams, they're drafting players, they're developing. But you, you look at the teams that are they going to compete next year for the NBA championship. And Miami doesn't have a pick at all. Uh, but if you look at the Golden State and you look at Toronto, those are the teams I'm more focused on in terms of what's happening with these draft picks. We are out of time. He's Ira. I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night on Iron Sports.